I, well, I almost like to, to, to share with colleagues in the team that an idea can spark and change what a business uh, believes they want and need, right? Um, and really, when you distill down and ask to what is the problem that you're trying to solve for, sometimes that sparks different ideas that take you off in different tangents or tangents that um, the client who's approaching you um, hasn't seen. And so we always feel like it's important to provide those options as, and we call them our bonus ideas. We're like, hey, I know this is a little different from maybe what you were expecting, but it got us thinking in this avenue. And those bonus ideas can spark different uh, initiatives, different outcomes, different uh, possibilities. Good afternoon, Chad. Welcome. Good to see you. It's been a fantastic one year of engagement uh, with you and your agency. Um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Waterloo Grit is a podcast where we are hoping to energize uh, entrepreneurs across the world, certainly mm -hmm. the region. Um, and a big shout out and thank you to the David Johnston R&T Park for supporting this podcast. So welcome to Waterloo Grit, Chad. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great. And uh, it's still strange to hear one year of engagement because it just uh, feels like uh, it was just yesterday that we were kicking the project off with you folks. So, Absolutely. And, and, and the mm -hmm. timing is fantastic. The, our new brand is out there for the world to see. Uh, you guys have done a kick-ass job of it. And uh, yeah, fantastic stuff all over. Yeah, we are, we're thrilled with the, the feedback that we've gotten. I know it was kind of strange that on your launch day, uh, not only was, uh, you know, our social feed blowing up with all the wonderful things that the AC was sharing, but also, uh, people reaching out personally. And it was kind of, uh, the accolades that we got, the, 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 uh, the kind words was just amazing. So, uh, it was a, a great day all around. <laughs> Fantastic. Absolutely. 100% agree. All right. Mm. Let's, uh, get into the thick of things. Um, uh, I'd love to hear, and, and, and so will the audience, love to hear your personal story, right? What what brings you to where you are today? Um, what are the things you've achieved in life, your academic accomplishments, professional accomplishments? Yeah. So what's your journey like, Chad? Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, it's a, an interesting journey as um, uh, I am the... Uh, the son of a fine artist and uh, an ex-NHL hockey player. Um, so my dad's uh, favorite uh, joke to, to share is that uh, I got my mom's sports ability and his artistic ability. And he thinks that that's a real zinger that uh, slays at all his all the family functions. Um, I should add a note to that, though. My, he's quite an accomplished guitar player. So I'll take that artistic ability if, uh, if that's where it came from. Um, but I think growing up, um, we were always exposed to, you know, my brothers and I, both sides of the spectrum where it was, uh, you know, we were playing uh, sports, but also heavily creative and involved in the arts. And I think, um, I mean, I, I remember at an early age, uh, you know, my friends would bring their G.I. Joes into, uh, you know, class. I think it was maybe grade three. And uh I would draw them for them. And then I saw an opportunity where maybe I could start getting a little something on the side, whether it was like a, a dollar here or there or, and a little something extra from them at lunch to give them a, a, a drawing of their GI Joe. So I think at that early age, um, I knew that there was something I really wanted to do with the arts. And I was like, Hey, my love of drawing, how I could just sit down and sketch for hours. Um, mm -hmm. 
there's something that's really transferable in that. Uh, so um, all throughout, uh, you know, high school, I, I went to a, a special uh, arts program here in Kitchener-Waterloo uh, and um, really uh, honed my skills as a fine artist. And then when it came to uh, graduation time, uh, I actually uh, worked at a coffee shop downtown and uh, I had a couple options where there was a lot of my friends graduating that were going off into fine arts. Um, and uh, I, you know, had heard the, the fine arts realm where you're, you're, you're uh, involved a little bit more in, in academia, uh, a little bit more grant proposals um, and things like that and the fine arts side of things. And I wasn't sure if that was necessarily for me. Um, I felt like uh, I really liked um, new media and was very excited about computers. And then at this coffee shop I worked at, uh, just to circle back to that story, um, there was an individual that used to come in all the time and he'd be on his laptop and he would spend hours in there. And uh, over the course of a few months, uh, I you know, chatted him up, started a, a, a bit of a friendship and turned out that he was uh, himself a graphic designer and he mm -hmm. uh, shared with me some of his work, what he was doing and uh, agreed that he would uh, teach me uh, uh, some things about graphic design uh, on the side. So I got super excited about this mm -hmm. and uh, was uh, very fortunate. And it turns out that that gentleman now, he's um, down in uh, Cupertino. Uh, so he works for Apple now, which is pretty cool. And Every once in a while, I, I connect with him uh, online, but uh, that really was the the bug that got me uh, started on the design side of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, it was um, I was involved with a uh, a collective of artists in downtown uh, Kitchener called Core Gallery and Studios. So it was a group of thirty artists that worked uh, to procure um, funding from HRDC Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, we set up this art center uh, that included a recording studio. Uh, there was three gallery spaces, uh, photography, dark room, uh, printmaking studio, and also access to a glass blowing equipment and studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a few years, I operated out of that as the resident graphic designer. So I was exposed to doing a lot of the um, design work to promote the, the shows that we put on in the studio. Uh, I worked uh, with individuals that were in the recording studio and packaging for, um, you know, their recordings. And back in the day, I'm dating myself. Those were CDs uh, and uh, doing posters and, and things of the such. Uh, so I really, um, really got to see just how uh, much of variety I could do with graphic design. And, and I really loved being the, the in-house resident designer there. And then, uh, of course, as you get a little bit older and a little bit more serious about your career, it was kind of what would be my next step. And uh, I applied for a job at uh, the Center in the Square. They were looking for a resident graphic designer. And I thought to myself, this is going to be amazing. This is exactly what I'm doing at the art studio, but this is more of a, uh, a job that's regular, that's not dependent on funding, that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, is right up my alley and a great starting point where I could, you know, kickstart my, my career as a graphic designer. And um, at that point, I didn't get a, a callback for an interview because I didn't have the formal education. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was a self-taught designer at that point, uh, obviously with the, the help of the, my mentor that, uh, that lent me the software, but 
then I had a change of heart and felt like I really needed to go to design school. And uh, mm. if this is the the path for me, then I needed to get more serious about that. So uh, I am so grateful for the center in the square for that uh, rejection. Um, mm. And uh, it really w- was a, a changing aspect of uh, uh, my path in my career because going to design school was the, the greatest thing ever. And right. I learned so much. And then from design school, I, I worked... Uh, in-house for Krug Furniture as a, a resident or as a graphic designer, and then eventually ended up with another agency in town that uh, I grew at for maybe about 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, over that 10-year time, was exposed to so many different aspects of design and marketing, uh, digital design, uh, that, uh, you know, I am just forever in debt for my experience at that, that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I got to this point where I really wanted to make sure that what I was contributing um, was actually, I could see the effects of it and the community where I work and play. And mm-hmm. that was really big to me. And uh, the agency I worked at did, a, you know, I think 99% of their, their work was in the States, which was amazing exposure. But I got to a point where, um, you know, I'm a proud Canadian, I'm a, a proud KW uh, resident. And mm-hmm. All of the amazing things that you are happening in the region and, you know, the AC being a catalyst for, you know, uh, a lot of that activity, it's, it's kind of, I wanted to give back. I wanted to contribute to it in, in one way, shape or form. So uh, I eventually I, I met Aaron Martin, one of the founders of Him and Her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got uh, talking for uh, coffee one afternoon and she shared with me a little bit about um, her agency, Him and Her, that she had started and her philosophy, the importance of community. And if you've ever met Aaron, the only way you can describe her is her personality and is infectious. Mm. I left that conversation just feeling so energized. And I reached out to her a few days later and I said, hey, I don't know if there's an opportunity for us to be able to work together, but I really, really felt inspired. And I'd love to be a part of what you're trying to build. And uh, that brought me to him and her, which has led me to meeting you, Jay. And that is my story, uh, a little bit of a roundabout story in, in terms of my career and how I ended up where I ended up. Awesome. Awesome. No, thank you for sharing that with us, Chad. <clears throat> um, so tell us a little bit about him and her. I've had the opportunity, of course, to work with you and the extended team, and it's been wonderful. I think for the audience, it'll be great to know what does him and her do? What is, what is the, um, what does it stand for? Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, uh, him and her is a creative agency and we also offer, um, you know, a, a full roster of marketing services as well, too. So uh, we we like to look at ourselves as, you know, uh, solutionists. We can solve uh, many problems. There's times where uh, we might not know the answer right off the get go where to go, but we're the type of um uh, organization and agency that would roll up our sleeves and get a little gritty, not to sound uh, super punny, and mm-hmm. figure things out and yeah. and dive in. What the agency really um, you know focuses on, I think that you know there's so many things, but I'd say branding, uh, e-commerce, uh, obviously digital experience solutions, um, social media, uh, marketing automation, campaign work, etc. Um, really, there is a full range of services that, that we provide. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it does point back to 
the community where we work and play. And we think of all the exciting things that are happening in the region, how many new companies, tech startups, how much growth we have here. Mm -hmm. uh, also, as well as a lot of the small businesses that contribute to that culture and really define us and make this area unique. Mm -hmm. um, that's really our sweet spot, as well as uh, working with a lot of the uh, real estate developments as this area continues to grow that mm -hmm. really have been our kind of niche. So I like to sum it down to, you know, whether it's a tech company or mid-market businesses that are looking to achieve that next level, mm -hmm. um, that would be us. If it's a small business that really has something unique and really wants the best of what an agency has to offer without having to necessarily go to like a, a Toronto market and pay Toronto prices, then mm -hmm. that would be our sweet spot. And then if there's developers that are looking for ways in which they could promote um, their buildings and be able to uh, share what those, that building lifestyle is. That's mm -hmm. something that is really niche to us where we really honed in on that market and feel like um, we've created something that's proprietary and unique uh, mm -hmm. for those individuals. Got it. Yeah, it's interesting. The times, you know, that we live in technology uh, as well as marketing has evolved to a point where now we begin to see an intersection of tech marketing and creativity, right? So it will be useful um, for for me, for sure, and potentially some of our audience, if you can articulate uh, the, the, the difference or the evolution, if you will, of a creative agency. Um, and in your case, certainly you sound like a full stack offering of creativity and marketing versus a pure marketing agency or, or a digital marketing agency. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think on the creative sign, one thing that uh, I feel is that, uh, you know, and it's a little cliche, but creativity does come from anywhere and mm -hmm. it can come from anyone. And it is a product of collaboration in my mind. I, I mm -hmm. always like to approach projects like a hive mind mentality. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, more of that... Um, creative agency approach as opposed to more of a conventional kind of marketing approach is that there's a lot of blending of the roles. There's a lot of blending of the ideas. It's not like everyone is compartmentalized as much in some of their lanes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not to say that across the board, like uh, that there's marketing companies out there that, that are a little bit more blended, but that's just from my experience that I can speak from that I think is differentiates it. The other thing too, is that, you know, um, Rather, I, well, I almost like to, to, to share with colleagues in the team that an idea can spark and change what a business uh, believes they want and need, right? Mm -hmm. um, and really, when you distill down and ask to what is the problem that you're trying to solve for, sometimes that sparks different ideas that take you off in different tangents or tangents that um, the client who's approaching you um hasn't seen. And so mm -hmm. we always feel like it's important to provide those options as, and we call them our bonus ideas. We're like, Hey, mm -hmm. I know this is a little different from maybe what you were expecting, but it got us thinking in this Avenue. Mm -hmm. And those bonus ideas can spark different mm -hmm. uh, initiatives, different outcomes, different uh, possibilities. And I think that that's really something that we do a, a mm -hmm. pretty good job of is making sure that, um, you know, we hear you, we hear the problem that you're, 
you're looking to solve and we understand the challenges. Um, but we also want to give you ways in which you can look at it in different ways. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's many ways you can solve a problem. And, and for us, it's trying to find that right mix and trying to do mm -hmm. something new and different to, to get noticed. So we don't really, um, hold back in that regard. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it's something that we just kind of will always lean into the, the team and, and, and say, yeah, just like go wide, you know, throw things against the wall. Like, um, don't edit yourself out of the gate when you're ideating as a team, uh, get as much, um, out there as possible. And then we can always come back and kind of hone in on, uh, individual ideas after the fact. I know I just kind of went off in a little bit of a tangent. Did that answer your question, Jay? Or did I just yeah, kind of yeah, deviate? No, it's, it's, a, it's a great way you articulated it. And I had a series of potential follow-up questions and I'll lead off with one of them. So if you look at a, <clears throat> an agency from the outside, uh, yeah. it often, you, you see different structures, right? You look at different agencies and there's, and I'm going to make this up to some degree, but you have structures like the the, the piece of the agency that focuses on the brand. Then there's another yep. piece of the agency that potentially focuses on, <clears throat> on the fulfillment piece. And clearly there's a piece of the agency that does the creative piece, right? So mm -hmm. how much as the, as the organization, as a, as a creative organization, like him and her, as you evolve and become bigger, how detrimental is the structure? Um, mm -hmm. or, or, or is it even detrimental? Right. You, you want to keep those creative juices flowing, but at the same time, it's an organization. Uh, you got to, you know, treat it like a business, etc. Yeah, that's a great question because uh, in something that uh, you know we've talked about uh, uh, internally too, in, in in our evolution, I think uh, it's important that yes, there is a certain extent of mm -hmm. uh, you know process or structure that you need as you grow, but we are very mindful and cognizant of that. We don't want that to overwhelm or to change the way in which we kind of uh, go about doing business ourselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's always going to be core to us that we don't lose that root of our identity. And mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, the fact that all of the, the leadership team, that that's something that we're actively talking about and always um, using as kind of a, uh, a gauge with where we're at as we continue to grow, um, that that's a good sign that uh, we don't want to lose what is core to our identity, what has gotten the success that that uh, we've achieved so far. And, um, you know, it's part of your DNA. And I think when an organization starts to, you know, lean too far away from that DNA, uh, it can, it can create a lot of disruption and friction. And at times it's difficult for companies to kind of recover from that. Um, right. we're of the mindset that this is what got us to the game and we shouldn't be afraid to, uh, maintain that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So do you folks do anything that fosters and keeps that creative creativity in the DNA going, right? Do you do, I don't know crazy radical offsites that just <laughs> get your brains to explode. What, what do you do? What do you do that's different from yeah. a traditional organization, I guess? Yeah, I think, uh, well, leading into the, the individuals that are there, uh, I think if you, um, you know, do a little look through, um, all of the, the, the people that consist of him and her and see them on the gram and what they're up to, you'll see that there's a wide variety of, um, 
creative side hustles and exploration that is happening on their own personal time. So right. what we try to do is encourage and bring that into the fold of uh, our everyday. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great example of that, um, and she may be mortified they're going to shut her out, but we have one designer, uh, Amy Esplin, mm-hmm. who uh, really got excited about, um, uh, you know, 3D and motion graphics and, and utilizing cinema 4D. So uh, in her own personal art was exploring um, the software and what she could do with it and what she could create. And then it got to the point where um, we could tap into those skills that she brought to the table for some of our clients and some of the projects where it was kind of like, hey, do you know what would be really awesome if for this hero banner, we had this and it was animated and it did X, Y, Z and could we do that? I think Amy could do that. And so that's one way where we kind of look to bring creative creativity to um, the team and kind of say, if that's your side hustle, share it. We want to learn about it. We want to know what gets you going. We want to know what your passion is and how do we uh, make sure that that passion can become part of what you do on a daily basis as well, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. The other side of it, and maybe a little bit more conventional, but uh, you know, making sure and something that I've um, mentioned to the team, at least half an hour a day uh, set Mm. or half an hour a week, sorry, to, Mm. you know, and not after, after work hours, but, or or on your lunch, because I know sometimes you're, you're looking at like, you know, your billable hours, et cetera, but to take that time and just remember why you fell in love with Mm -hmm. design, why you fell in love with creativity, why um, this was the right path for you. Cause I think, at times when you're working for clients um, and if, you know, your vision uh, gets altered or doesn't come uh, come through clean on the other side, as you originally were hoping for, it mm-hmm. can lead to, um, you know, sometimes you get a little bit jaded or you're like, oh, I really wish that idea could have saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. But you offset that by looking at all the amazing things that individuals are doing out there. And nevermore has design been so accessible and at our fingertips that we can just tap into it through the interweb to see all the amazing work that people are out there doing and spending in half an hour, you can just feel so recharged just by seeing what's out there and what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always a, a lot of like little haunts on the interweb that you go to and, and right. um, uh, you know, uh, can, can pull that inspiration from. And then I'd say the third thing, which is kind of uh, is related to creativity, is I think you you have to have, um, and, and for me personally, uh, a little bit more of that balance, that that wellness approach. I think that is really key um, mm-hmm. because uh, being able to take that moment, to take those breathers, to recharge. I like to do a little bit of uh, uh, meditating, um, and uh, I find that when you get to that meditative. A zone. Usually it's about 10 minutes in for me, I find where your brain kind of shuts off. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but you're just more open and susceptible to ideas that are out there in the ether just to kind of like right. jump in your, your, your head. Um, so finding ways in which you can get to that level where you're, you're not even thinking I need to be creative at this moment and solve this I- or solve for this problem but you're in a state with which it just naturally occurs and comes to you and right. jotting it down. So getting, getting to that point uh, is something that, you know, it, it, it is what I encourage. It's not for everyone. Some people, they find it's exercising. It's like going for a run and, right. you know, uh, two kilometers in, they get to that same, that same kind of flow state. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Nice. I almost have a, 
have a mind to start a startup, which is a discovery marketplace for all and list down and curate all the websites and microsites that uh, creative folks go to. I'd be super thrilled to figure out, you know, what are the kinds (laughs) of places that creative folks go to. Um, Well, yeah, and... That's something we do once a once a month. We get the the team together and and um, uh, we call it our "What's Popping" meetings, and that's just for mm-hmm. people to kind of share what they're looking at, what they're excited about, what, what's bringing inspiration into their life, yeah. and then we share um, in Slack like our, our channel for it, just um, all the links. So we can we we started to create a database right. like that uh, for ourselves at H and H. Yeah, you got to make that public chat. <laughs> Even if it requires monetization, I'm sure there'll be takers for it. Yeah, we'll 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 maybe look at a startup. I think there's an organization that can help us with that out there, right? So yeah, absolutely. Okay, I can put you in touch with an accelerator that has access to a bunch of startups. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, staying course. So if if a company were to approach you, right? Ideally, a small stage tech company. And yep. they come up with the idea of, hey, this is the this is the product that we have, and we want to launch uh, an app or <clears throat> or dress up our website to be able to take that to market. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through what is the what is the internal creative process um, that happens in the background before you come back with a concept or a prototype or or uh, whatever that looks like? Yeah, uh, for us, it is how can we be as immersed in their world as possible? How much research, how much can we understand about um, them as an organization, uh, them as in terms of like the product that they're developing, what the problem uh, the project solves for and who that is for, Um, you know, even who they are as a company, the people that you're talking to, those individuals and what else is, like that or out there in the world uh there's sometimes is where it's completely unique and you're you're dealing with a you know an ai technology that solves for something that you've never seen before um or there's other times where there it's a refinement on an existing idea but just making it all that much better Mm. uh so really we like to view ourselves as that extension of that team and working in partnership and that we feel as much information as we have as much knowledge we have about the company really allows us to go as wide as possible when we're doing that, um, you know, really divergent thinking on the creative side of things. Um, because one little nugget that you can get from a stakeholder interview or an external stakeholder interview can spark uh, so many ideas that um, you normally wouldn't have. Uh, so I think it's really key that it is that that immersion. And for us, it's it's fun. Like we really want, we really want to be that bright spot in the day for our clients that they're looking forward to engaging with the H and H team that they're like, Oh geez, I can hardly wait to see what they're coming to the table with now or what some of their thinking or some of their ideas are. Um, so that is, is paramount for us. Uh, but really once we have that basis and that research and that understanding, Mm-hmm. It's um, looking at what are the ways in which um, we could tackle that problem and making recommendations on that. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's we heard A and we think A is the right way to go, but here's a couple tweaks. Other times it's we heard A and mm-hmm. 
really, we think B is valid. And here's why B makes a lot of sense and solves the problem in a different way. Um, and then other times it's, and here's C, this might be a little bit more oddball or, or a little bit different or pushing the boundaries a little bit. Um, but we want to make sure that we're providing that range because um, there is a, a great Netflix show. Uh, I forget the individual, but he was the lead uh, product designer at Instagram. Mm-hmm. And the quote that he, um, he had was, as creatives, it's our job to find the edges without going over. And oh, that's right. what that concept phase is, right? So that's right. the freedom to find those edges, right? So uh, in, you know, the ABC option, whatever that may be, that's what we're really trying to identify for our clients. Where is that comfort zone? Where is the edge? And sometimes, yeah, you have a concept that goes over and, and it's uh, identified by um, your client partners at that point, but it, it's a safe spot where you're having that right. conversation, right? right? And then from that point on, once the the idea is is lit, that spark is ignited. It's um, how do we translate that concept into reality? How does it, how do we bring it to life? What channels does it bring to life? What experiences uh, bring to life? Like how tactile can we we make that um, to really make it uh, something that's resonant for for the audience and um, you know that that brings the value that um, these these companies are looking for, and that's why they're engaging with us. Yeah. Absolutely. And in speaking of the spectrum of customers that you work with, it's mm-hmm. very diverse, right? Based off of um, your website and conversations we've had, is there a customer uh, profile that you'd love to engage with, you know, be, 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 be the sector, be it the size of the company? Uh, mm-hmm. is, is there one that you prefer over the other? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, I think uh, we I've talked a little bit about the the real estate component of that. So I think that's a real niche market where um, uh, and I mean, it does sound boastful, but I think we slay the dragon at that. We do a, a fantastic job. So that that's definitely one avenue. Um, but when we get into kind of um, tech companies or, um, you know, any mid market business that's really looking to accelerate their growth to get to that next level. Um, we're, we're really looking for someone that's, that's hungry to innovate, but unsure of how to get there and, mm-hmm. and willing to kind of put themselves down and say, we've tried some things. We're trying this ABC. We're not seeing the results that we're, we're um, uh, hoping for. And we need, we need help. We need expertise that your team brings to the table to become that extension of that organization. So that's, that's really key for us. Mm-hmm. Um, also with those tech and, and more mid-market businesses, it's, um, that they, they have some established, um, you know, background already, or they have a, a strong foundation to build off of in, in, in place. Um, I think, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of, um, you know, in, in our community, a lot of startups are like, you know, bubbling up and, and whatnot. Uh, for us, you know, the fit is important and it, you know, it makes sure that, uh, on that side of things that there is a little bit more of a stronger foundation that that's one thing that, you know, we really, um, were initially drawn to with the AC and the incubation program is just how strong a foundation, uh, you set those organizations up with and, and things along those lines, right. That, um, felt like it's kind of in our sweet spot. And then the other avenue would be the, uh, 
the small businesses and the community side of things that uh, I already kind of talked about, which um, I think with the homogenous and amorphous kind of Amazon approach to you can buy and be delivered everything to really hold on to your core community culture. You need to have those uh, niche businesses in your community that are just those wonderful experiences that you feel like you find and develop or, or discover. So I'm thinking of like the Reed's chocolates or the for all ice creams that we've had the fortunate, uh, you know, uh, ability to work with. And, those institutions, they create community and it's important yeah. that, you know, we don't lose sight of them as we have, you know, more, more big box uh, businesses and, and, and more of those uh, internet companies that are, are bubbling up along the way as well too, right? So yeah. that, those are kind of our multiple sweet spots that we look for, but definitely mm -hmm. the lanes that we like to operate within. Got it. And, and sticking to tech, right? Uh, yeah, early stage startups today are are clearly not only here to stay, but you know the the future of work almost points to the fact that everybody at some point is going to be entrepreneurial in nature. Yeah, and when uh, when you encounter a client of that of that stage, early stage, uh, what are the decision points that drive you to take the business? Is it the fact that you know, on the plus side, it's very malleable, right? You can you can sort of build it yeah. with the founder. On the on the on the con, um, is capital, right? Uh, and oftentimes, yeah. tech startups, at least, they struggle with the at least the ones I've interacted with. They're so mm -hmm. focused on getting product out um, out of the door and getting early validation that the sense of creative design to be able to scale it almost comes as an afterthought. Um, so would you profess that that's the wrong way to go about it? Are they better off doing it early? That's, I think, question number one. And the other question is, from your perspective, mm, is there a way by which you can embrace early stage startups or early stage companies, forget tech startups, uh, mm -hmm. as much as a larger company? Yeah, the for the individuals that value uh, design and design thinking and that understand that that identity and, and like exactly to your point is important early on in the process. Right. Um, because, and I've, I've shared the quote with you before, but you know, brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So if you're not paying attention to that, then you're not cognizant of, you know, what people are saying about you, which affects so many things for, for your business. Uh, so, individuals that see that value that understand that and thankfully like um a lot of the entrepreneurial kind of like uh pioneers like the jobs and the musks or whatever have kind of preached to design thinking or the importance of design and creativity so um mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing a lot of that that um obviously over the the last uh, decade kind of trickle into that approach but it's something that you know really should differentiate the company right so you may have a product um, that is over the moon, fantastic, revolutionary, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're not able to communicate the benefits, the why behind that product and the why behind you exist mm -hmm. and give an emotional reason for people to believe 
in you and what you're doing, then you're not going to get the traction that you're hoping for. Because unfortunately, I, I think for, for startups and for products, it isn't a, if you build it and you have this amazing revolution, people will discover it. It's how do you get to them? How do you reach them? How do you communicate? Um, and a lot of times in the tech sector, it's, it's um, uh, you know, uh, you'll encounter very brilliant cerebral thinking um, mm -hmm. that can sometimes be overwhelming with the jargon, right? Um, and uh, that's the lens that we can also help is how do you distill that down to a little bit more of a, a level which is more commonly understood to to kind of humanize that a little bit more. So, so that's something that, uh, you know, we always look for uh, as well. So, mm. You know, our, our right fit are, are those people that see that value of, of what we bring to the table and are looking for a partner mm -hmm. and they're looking for individuals that, uh, you know, are going to provide those ideas that are might differ from what they originally thought they want, but they're just open and, and accessible to them and not necessarily saying, hey, do you know what? I just want you to color it this way and that's the way it should be. But no, right. let I, we prefer the other lane where it's a little bit more on the divergent thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with a choice of word partner, right? I think a lot of times the engagement with the creative folks are thought of as a tactical relationship as opposed yeah. to that of a, you know, one that stems from a true partnership where you get the essence of the product and you, you sit in the, in the seat of the, uh, of the customer. There was this mm -hmm. fascinating story. I remember from, years ago when Amazon <clears throat> launched in India and, yeah. and I think if I'm not mistaken, this at that point was, you know, they just leapfrogged into, uh, uh, into mobile first and they had the, mm -hmm. they had the app, app was up, people were shopping, but it, it was very quickly, they got, they realized that a lot of the transactions, uh, between search and completion is high, but discovery and search is low. And, you know, mm -hmm. and they went about it. Um, and they very quickly found out that the audience in India, uh, uh, especially <clears throat> tier two, tier three cities have never encountered a cell phone or, or a laptop for that matter. And for the first time they have this device in their hands and believe yeah. it or not, the, uh, the little magnifying glass that you see at the, at the, bottom, uh, at the top for search was construed as a tennis racket. Um, wow. Yeah. They never thought of, you know, this, this, this particular audience never associated search with the magnifying glass. Right. And mm -hmm. the localization uh, to the Indian context, you know, once they changed it, sales went through the roof. They immediately had insane amounts of conversion. So going back to your point of, how do you sit in the shoes of the customer is such a key element to the process that I think oftentimes, especially tech entrepreneurs, I think lose sight of it uh, because they're in love with their own technology uh, that they forget the, the desire for sitting in the, in the shoes of the customer. Uh, yeah. And, and we totally understand that from that partner perspective. And when you think of it, like, um, you have your funding, your investment uh, to get things going. You're working with your, you know, product design to um, hit any benchmarks that you establish. And um, you might not have the wherewithal or the means internally to say, 
we need to be focusing on this identity side of things and who we are and how we communicate that or even have that expertise, right? So really, mm-hmm. that's why we are an extension of the team because they could come to an agency like H&H and, mm-hmm. um, you know, say, I need some of what you bring to the table uh, to be able to, you know, uh, effectively get my product to market and the way that I know will gain the most traction mm-hmm. and uh, having that, that honesty to say, and I don't know how to get there. That's why I'm coming to you is, is definitely, definitely key. Uh, and, and, and finding that right fit for us in terms of our clients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just switching topics a bit, right? If one were mm-hmm. to, um, get into the space that you're in and, and clearly you've traversed this journey through, through multiple organizations and at multiple stages, one of the things I've noticed, especially you know, in the last five years or so, there's a ton of really good um, uh, freelancers. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing some of them migrate to developing an entrepreneurial mindset and build an agency um, either around them or they join them, right? Uh, so the mm-hmm. question is, two questions, I guess. One is, if, if there's a freelancer out there, you know, in his or her uh, 20s, what are the pros and cons of staying a freelancer and uh, developing an agency around, um, around themselves? And the second question, I guess, is yeah. as a client, if you're nimble, agile, would you recommend them going to a freelancer or to an agency? Yeah, so great questions. Uh, first off, I think um, for freelancers, you know, in their 20s coming out of design school, um, we do work closely with um, with Conestoga College. They have an amazing program. Uh, I'm an alum, so I'm going to boost it because uh, I, I owe so much to them. Uh, but seeing, seeing them, um, you know, be able to grow and, and be diverse and in, in the types of projects they get or the different um, organizations that they're exposed to is key. So, uh, you know, one agency doesn't function the same as the other agency, even though they're kind of in the same ballpark, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're freelancing for those agencies, then you're going to be exposed to different ways of doing things. And it allows you the basis to kind of formulate your own opinions about okay, I'm learning from them. I'm learning from them. But what do I think is the best way to solve problems? So you can kind of internalize that, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. And then being able to, if it was reaching out and working with um, a, uh, a startup engaging with a freelancer, um, I'd say it depends on the, the task and the ask uh, of what you'd be wanting from them. So, uh, you know, it'd be... Uh, you know, if it's something that's a little bit more on the pure creative and pure design side of things or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's a, always a great avenue to kind of reach out and explore to. Or if there's like additional like, um, you know, production help or speed and efficiencies, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's what freelancers bring uh, a lot of value to and when they're starting out. And then from there, freelancers can grow into like some pretty phenomenal, amazing businesses uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're just doing that on, on the regular. So, uh, once you hit that sweet spot and you, you know, become, a, a freelancer that, uh, has a lot of experience in, in freelancing on the, in terms of the creative, uh, design or, uh, as an art director, sorry, or a creative director, 
Um, you're bringing a lot more of that lens of strategy that you've brought to to the uh, the plate. So I'd say mm. uh, for uh, you know a tech company that's looking for freelancers, think think of the background, the where that individual is coming from, what you need, and who's best suited from that. So uh, mm. this area alone has so many great amazing um, freelancers and freelance options out there. Mm -hmm. And you see that there's a lot of people that still feel that Waterloo bug that they're like, no, I don't want to go off to Toronto. I don't want to go to another city. I love this area and it's exciting what's being built here. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of that. And, um, you know, there, there isn't the same opportunity of agencies in, in, in the Waterloo area like there is in Toronto. So you see a lot more freelancers and a lot more businesses that start up. And, and we've at him and her, we tap into them from time to time as well, too, because, um, you know, they, they bring a lot of great to the table and can help us in terms of if there's overflow or if there's a skill set that we need to kind of ramp up with on the team. Uh, we'll always engage to with uh, with freelancers. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Switching topics to the uh, uh the higher end of the value chain, right? Experience, user experience. Mm. Yeah. At what point do you internally decide not to play by the rules? I, I don't even know if there are rules. So in, in classic yeah. engineering, there's always rules, right? You got, you got to stick within the boundaries, be it software or hardware, try, try as much to break things such that at the end, when it gets to the hands of the customer, it doesn't break in design mm -hmm. and in creative thinking. Um, are there such things as playing by the rules? Does that exist? Do you have guidelines? I I think, well, definitely on the UX side of things, for sure. Like mental models exist and they mm -hmm. exist because it's learned behavior and um, leveraging those mental models for um, crafting great user experiences is, is essential. It's like, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're facilitating a buying journey or that there's ease of discoverability, et cetera. So uh, I'd say on the UX side of things, uh, definitely rules exist. Um, when you have an innovation or trying to introduce, you have to also be thinking about, okay, if this is an, a net new learned experience, mm -hmm. how, what is the best way in which we can kind of introduce that and, and foster it over time so we could get it to a mental model kind of level, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you'd have to take place to, to get there? For branding, and this is kind of weird because I'm a stickler for brand, and every time I share this comment with the colleagues and friends, they laugh at me, but I view branding and identity as the dotted line in the middle of the road. So you want to mm -hmm. stick in your lane but there are always times where it just might be in your best interest to just pass the car in front of you and um, knowing what those opportunities are, when to kind of break out of that mold, because there's um, certain times where you can't engage with the audience that you want to engage with. Um, uh, in my career, I, I have an example where we were working with a, a big tech company that, uh, um, had an established brand and established identity. Uh, we were definitely had to work within the confines of the brand. And mm -hmm. um, the marketing manager uh, was kind of banging their heads against it and saying, this audience that we're trying to go after, very much the startup, uh, younger audience in, in, in uh, NorCal there. Um, and our brand doesn't resonate with them. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we need to try something different. And we threw some off the wall ideas out there on them mm -hmm. that were 
definitely uh, from their, their brand team was feeling a little gun shy about. Uh, but at the end of the day, the marketing manager said, what do we have to lose? Let's try this. And it was very successful. So that's a great example of like, depending on who you're speaking to, your brand might not be mm. uh, helping you in those regards. And, and knowing that there is that leeway at times where you just have to do a little bit of a nudge around, right? Um, but I definitely think that, you know, when it comes to also creativity, I'd say mm-hmm. at first there, there, there is no rules, like go wide, throw yeah. as many ideas out there as possible. Um, our, our natural human nature is to kill ideas. It's so much easier to say no to something than it is to say yes to something. Right. Um, so, uh, limit that, like, um, I worked with an individual at my previous agency who was a brilliant strategic thinker. And he introduced me to like the De Bono thinking hats. Mm. Um, and it's always stuck with me because uh, you, we'd be ideating and he'd be like, get that black hat off right now. Like mm-hmm. you have to be open to ideas. And it really gave a good structure in terms of how to evaluate after you've gone wide with some ideation by mm-hmm. kind of following some of De Bono's thinking. So I'm grateful for for Glenn for sharing some of that uh, uh, knowledge in my career. Awesome. Walk us through what, what is Dubono thinking? Oh, so there's a series. I believe it's like uh, it's seven, six or seven uh, different thinking hats, and they're different um, colors that represent mm-hmm. um, uh, different phases of evaluating an idea. So um, that you know that uh, okay, if I'm going to wear like uh, I think it's like. Um, the the blue hat means that you're opening your subjective to uh, all kinds of ideas, and I I may butcher this because I don't have it memorized, so I'm apologize to any De Bono thinking thinkers out there. Uh, and then obviously the black hat is the critical hat, the one that uh, you know uh, you usually um, I, w- I would use at the end where you want to call down and, and and kind of really be the the devil's advocate and say no, that's not uh, for us and whatnot. So um, it's a good structure that uh, I like to follow. I just don't have it memorized, but uh, the one that I found the most useful is for the black hat where make sure mm-hmm. you keep that to the end and don't, don't kill ideas right out of the gate. Got it. That, that's a brilliant way to, you know, I, I was just reminded as you walked us through that story of uh, Airbnb. Um, mm-hmm. So apparently in the early days of Airbnb, the founders were really struggling to get uptick and they were, you know, sitting and brainstorming at Y Combinator with Paul Graham and the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And apparently one of the things that was told to them was think of stepping outside the, the set of rules. And these rules have been told to you such that you can scale. Right. And, mm-hmm. and they thought about it, thought about it. And they finally figured out what if we, there, there's no uptick in terms of traffic based off of the pictures that's on the early um, uh, stages of their website. So why don't we just go to New York City, click yeah. much better pictures, high resolution pictures of the uh, of the properties that were there and just delete the pictures that were taken by the dinky cell phones uh, by the users. So they did that. They, they, they said, listen, this is not scalable. It's not like we can go and take high risk pictures of every single property. Let's just mm-hmm. give it a shot. <laughs> so it turns out they, they flew out, uh, took a bunch of pictures of the exact same properties and voila, there was, there was insane uptick. And then they came back and, you know, they changed the website and the, and the, 
rules, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, the framework that allowed for better pictures to be published.